What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I'm back. Back, baby. Yeah. First it's, day. Uh, it's, been, it's been a journey, bro. It's been weird. You can already tell I'm off rhythm because, like, this was such a big part of our life, just, like, recording and everything. It's great to see you, bro. Good to, good to see you, man. Good to see you. Um, So for those who are kind of like, wait, what am, what are you guys talking about? You've had weekly pods coming out. Uh, have not recorded any of those uh, live, recorded all of those ahead of time. Hopefully you enjoyed the the evergreen pods that we've done the last three episodes. And if you've been wondering, oh, why have you guys been doing any sort of uh, reaction to schedule, stuff like that? Back from paternity leave, uh, if you hear a crying baby in the background, apologies. But yeah, life is good. Life is different. I'm going to kind of provide more details on that if you're listening to this and thinking, I don't really care about how drastically your life changed. Uh, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes talking about it at the top. We'll talk about that, that at the end in lieu of, a, of figuring out and kind of update everybody on what my life has been like these last three weeks. It's been absolutely nuts. We also got Jacob Hester coming on in a bit, talked about a bit of everything. Hester's the best. So first, of course, all this is coming out as I'm on paternity leave and I'm trying not to like spend time on Twitter or anything like that. But Think about this. And this is how long it's been. This is the longest I've I've gone in my life since I got into this field without podcasting, writing, anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the last time we recorded, which would have been end of May, I was still under the impression that the SEC would have a nine-game schedule starting in 2024. It's mm-hmm. been a minute. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. I told everybody like, hey, look, you know, all these reasons why the SEC has always tried to line this up with the playoff. It's always been about the path to the playoff. Now that we got the 12-team playoff coming in in 2024, the SEC is finally going to make that jump to nine games. We know the margin for error is a little bit different now. It makes all the sense in the world. And then don't you know it, that doesn't happen at all. Everybody knows by now listening to this, the, the late push to have – Another year at an eight-game conference schedule with Texas and Oklahoma coming on board, even though there is going to be the 12-team playoff, the SEC staying at the eight-game conference schedule. Everybody knows that. Saw a lot of different things going around. Not going to be able to get to all of it, but a lot of people criticizing the SEC, I think fairly so, sharing their frustration that this is going to be the case for another year when it felt imminent that we were going to get the nine-game conference schedule. What I didn't see, correct me if I'm wrong here, did you see a lot of people talking about this? why the stalemate exists between ESPN and the SEC from ESPN side? Like, what, what, Did you see people talking about the holdup for ESPN? No, just a lot of people screaming at the SEC, really. Yeah, which makes sense. The SEC is like, hey, we want more money from ESPN if we're giving you a better package with the nine-game conference schedule – and ESPN essentially says, no, we're, we're going to stand pat right here. We don't have to give you more money. What not enough people are talking about, though, is is that dynamic and why some might look at the situation and say, well, they should just do right by their client. ESPN should do right by the SEC. Just give them more money, incentivize it, and make it happen. My belief is that ESPN is saying, you guys are going to watch SEC games no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's against Louisiana Monroe or Auburn. Y'all are going to watch, and we know mm-hmm. that you're going to watch. We don't have to come up with this crazy uh, deal at the last minute to make you happy and throw more money at you when there's already this arrangement in place because this isn't a bidding war. They, they have those rights. They're, they're, the, the contract is for, for 10 years, and so you've got 
And unlike other conferences, they'd be reading their contracts in the SEC. So they can't just throw out the UF-FSU game, the SEC championship game, the Super Bowl. They're not trying to roll all that into one deal here at the SEC like the Big Ten did. Wait, oh, yeah. I was, I was going to ask, Will, who could you possibly be speaking of uh, when it comes to media negotiations going wrong? Oh, you've never seen that happen before. You know, CEO of the Chicago Bears, the very own, your man, Kevin Moore. <laughs> don't do that to me. Don't, don't do that. Welcome back. Yeah. You've got teams in the SEC who said, let's just stick with eight for another year and see if we can get more money. Nine teams in the SEC, as we find out that, that we're ultimately saying that. And I saw a lot of people treating this like the SEC just signed a 20-year contract for the eight-game conference schedule. And that's not the case. It's right. just 2024. If they were really, really dead set on this eight-game conference schedule continuing into the latter part of the 2020s, they would have that deal locked in place and they'd be like, ah, you know what? We didn't get what we wanted from ESPN. Let's just pull the trigger and, and, and oh, well, people forget about it. It's a one-year deal for now. And you could probably get away with it because the ACC is doing that. And also the fact that you're adding Texas and Oklahoma, everyone with half a brain understands the SEC is still the premier conference in America. I'm not breaking news by saying any of this, but does this kind of suck? Yeah, in some ways. For sure. And, and I'll be honest, I, I was bummed and, and I want to see more SEC games, not less. I say that as someone who has so often talked about how lopsided it has been with the playoff success of teams who play the eight game conference schedule versus teams who play the nine game conference schedule. And if right. you don't know what the numbers are, I have them in an article that I wrote last year and I realized I didn't put them in the doc today. But just trust me when I say they're incredibly lopsided. OK, right. they are. That'll look different in the 12-team playoff era. I'm assuming it's going to look different, but I actually don't think that this is like what it once was. That is designed to create the best path to the playoff with that being the sole focus. The SEC is trying to compensate these schools who could go from being bowl eligible to being like five and seven with obviously a tougher conference that could, in theory, add an extra conference game. But remember, ESPN has the SEC for 10 years, has that deal. You can renegotiate media deals, but again, Will, the Big Ten kind of showed us that's not always exactly an easy thing. And it can get really murky in a hurry, especially if you don't have great leadership at the top. And if your commissioner is a bit incompetent, I wouldn't call Greg Sankey incompetent for not being able to get the SEC to a nine-game conference schedule. But mm -hmm. do I think it's a rare demerit for Greg Sankey? Yeah. I do. I really do. The SEC was scrambling and they went back and forth on this for a long time. And it's probably not the best look that Sankey had the, the Saban leak. Uh, what was that? A few months ago with Alabama, you know, talking with the Alabama permanent opponents with the three, six, six model. Saban wasn't happy. Saw a lot of people re-reacting to that as well. And saying that Alabama is running scared, even though I Disagree with that. I think Saban, even though it's a tough look, tough pill to swallow, if you're going to be the team that plays anybody, anytime, anywhere, I think Saban has every right to be able to voice some frustration about that and say like, okay, now's the time to do it. Not when you're already locked in, not when you already have these permanent opponents because Saban didn't like the fact that Tennessee was being graded on a 10 year curve instead of what it just did this last year and what we ultimately right. think it can become with Josh Heupel. So yeah. We know so Tennessee this. officially back, according to Nick Saban. Tennessee of old, gone. Only the Tennessee of now is here to stay. The the best compliment Tennessee's been given in the past two decades came from Nick Saban having resistance to this. 
Oh yeah, on on like on uh on like intentionally, he was just like, actually, Tennessee might be here to stay. Like as a Tennessee fan, I'd be like, amazing. Thank you for saying we won't be a doormat for ten years. Love you, Nick. It's it's a very fascinating sliding doors. If Tennessee had just been seven and five, eight and four last year, lost to Alabama again, would we have had that resistance from Alabama with the three six six model? Would we perhaps be looking at a different conversation? Because we know that Saban has a lot of power, a lot of a very heavy voice in this conference. Could that have changed the course of the conference schedule with 2024? We'll never know. But the eight-game conference schedule deserved to kind of get blasted. And then, of course, we did what we always do. We turned the page. Mm -hmm. And immediately, when the schedule gets announced last week, everybody's like, let's go. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. We love a football schedule announcement. It has become such a big deal in a way that it wasn't even as recently as 10 years ago, even as recently as five or six years ago. That's the NFL. That's college. We love hearing about that because the off season is so long. And what do we want to do? We're sitting here in June talking about football. Nothing Mm -hmm. moves the needle, like being able to map out those things. And I I think that is why we all of a sudden were like, Oh, eight game conference schedule. Yeah. That's in the past. Let's break down what we think everybody's record is going to be in 2024. It's crazy. I mean, that, that is how quickly we forget about these things. Let's rank the SEC schedules from easiest to toughest. Wait, really quick. I just want to say our last thing that we talked about literally right before you left was like, get ready for nine games, get mentally prepared yep. for your team losing. Like, yep. like that was our big thing is like, everything's going to be different. Losses are going to be as big of a deal. I don't know if you saw this from uh, at Reddit CFB on Twitter, but the new with the eight game model, there are 20 combinations of three teams that can go undefeated with the new model. And it looks like eight combinations of four teams that could all go undefeated. So maybe don't get loose. Don't get used to losing. <laughs> maybe one more year. Of, if you lose, it's a big deal because it's very possible to go undefeated. <laughs> That's a, that would be the reverse 2007, right? Right. <laughs> just everyone wins out. It's like, uh-oh. I, I just need every – I need undefeated teams getting left out of mm-hmm. the SEC championship. What a, what a ride that would be to be able to see that. Okay, so let's let's rank the SEC schedules for 2024 from easiest to toughest. Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky – LSU, Mississippi State, Mizzou, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, Vandy. I just listed the SEC teams in alphabetical order. I didn't actually come up with the strength of schedule. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? <laughs> yeah. That was, once you got through a couple, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not, we're, not, we're not doing that today. I do think that there were a couple of consensus thoughts looking at this and not to overreact too much, but that's what we're going to do. Florida fans um, – it's going to be okay. It's it's going to be okay. I think if you polled SEC fans, they would tell you, yes, Florida got the toughest draw for 2024. But here's the good news. I can't imagine at this time next year, we're looking at that schedule thinking that it's even more challenging than the way that we're looking at it right now. And the good news for Florida is unlike Auburn, Tennessee, at least you don't have both Georgia and Alabama on your schedule. Yeah, it's bad. It's it's really bad. Home games for Florida against Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, and AM. You have road games at Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Texas. Obviously, the Georgia game in Jacksonville. And because Scott Strickland was so proactive in beefing up that non-conference slate, and also not just that, but saying, hey, UCF, we're finally going to play you. You've got Miami at home. You've got UCF at home. And then, oh, by the way, you're at Florida State. You can't even I mean, sleep your on Your state Sanford. championship that they always talk about is literally decided – 
by, I guess, November 30th here, because all the dates are on here for the out-of-conference. So your team could still be, like, mid... Like, obviously, that's not mid-season necessarily, but, like, you're... <laughs> you're, you're, you're... You have seen all of... Like, you've played all of the teams without a bowl game. Because that's the big thing about, like, Florida in the 90s. It's like, okay, well, you got... You know, like, you had to kind of... You, all these teams had to get to this level to play each other, really. Now it's built in. So it's like you could get punched in the mouth early against Miami on August 31st and then become a completely different team and have like a 30-point loss to Miami. Obviously, that's not likely with the way that Miami's going, but you never know. It's two years from now, obviously. But it's just looking at all this, it's like, wow. Like, that's – never mind, Florida. I'm sorry. It is tough that you guys got to do this in this specific year. If Florida goes 6-6 six and six this year, everybody's going to look at that schedule and just say – Billy Napier, Scott Strickland as well, dead men walking. That's what they're going to say. If if Florida essentially just repeats the what it did last year, that that would be coming. But I'm I'm just saying, crazier things have happened. Okay, crazier things have happened. The bad thing and why this is really tough to kind of wrap your head around if you're a Florida fan, spinning this as a positive, is you're looking at your quarterback situation, and that's not the type of schedule you would want for a first time starting quarterback. It's mm-hmm. it's really not to have to navigate that. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, so if we don't have a first-time starting quarterback, it's either Graham Mertz or Jack Miller becoming a thing this year. And it kind of puts you know, and they got that kid Simmons, right? So he might play. Oh, well, they don't. They don't. Um I couldn't even hold that joke together. I'm sorry. I, I had to do you know how many so when you're away from stuff and and you're not locked in, I wasn't locked in to to Twitter every day during paternity leave. Right. If we're going to explain what, what exactly Will's talking about if you if you did not see what happened with Austin Simmons. But when you see a headline like four-star quarterback reclassifies from 2025 class, flips, and joins 2023 class, you think to yourself, surely this is just my sleep deprivation talking. Right. This can't be real. Did I dream that I saw that a kid finished his sophomore year of high school and then flipped to another school in the SEC? Did I dream that his dad told the Palm Beach Post, oh, yeah, we're, we're actually looking at a Florida situation. DJ Lagway is coming in. We think they really like him. The schedule is too difficult. What what, what are we doing? I, I, I still can't fully wrap my head around that. I'm so stupid. I was looking at the, his GPA. It said it was like 5.25. And I was just staring at it. Like, like, what? Do I understand what the number five is in this case? Like, the number five. Am I aware? Like, I was doing the count from Sesame Street. Like, four should be near the top. Well, they beat classes. You can kind of start to creep into that four and a half. And it's like, yeah. And then your point about the quote, I immediately was just like, well, this is made up Florida propaganda. No way he said this. And I clicked on the article. Sure enough, the dad just straight up is quoted saying it. So, hey, yeah, this is as crazy as we initially read it. I'm just baffled at that. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, not, not exactly the best of times for Florida with national headlines, but despite the fact that actually, if you look at the recruiting rankings, they keep rising and they actually keep getting more and more commits, which is kind of crazy. Well, their class is awesome. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay. Mike, well, re- really quick on Florida. It's unfortunate for them with the schedule thing, because we both were pretty like aligned about don't judge year one, kind of barely judge year two, like maybe you get seven, eight wins a year two and kind of build. Now it's like, uh, year three, I dang near would be like, dude, if you get seven wins out of this schedule. So, but then you can't, that's not how coaching works. Like you can't just have three like redshirt years of not counting. So unfortunately the first year that is going to count, even from our very like 
uh, stand back standpoint for Billy Napier is like, you got to count this third year and it's going to be the hardest schedule I may have ever seen in my life. Maybe it's kind of what Florida needs though. In a strange way. I don't know. Like maybe, maybe there's something to be said for that. <clears throat> and finally having low expectations for, for a coach entering year two, we've talked about that in the past and how that's been so hard to come by for, for all of these really post Spurrier era coaches and how difficult that has been to try and navigate that when expectations are immediately like, you know, even Mullen winning a new year, six bowl in year one, McElwain getting to an sec championship in year one, rising above those expectations. Like we'll talk about this a lot moving forward, but maybe it could actually set up really well that seeing a schedule like this come out and seeing seeing something like this come out, just a bizarre story with Austin Simmons is like, Oh, everybody's off Florida. It's a whole lot easier to rise above that low bar than whatever sort of bar we were talking about three, four years ago with him on. Can we talk about Arkansas not getting screwed? That was, I mean, blown away. How about Arkansas? Nobody came out better from the ICC schedule reveal than Arkansas. In my opinion, I thought Arkansas would have Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas, and Oklahoma all lined up. I mean, the way that it played out in 2020, if you remember the way that it was just like, oh, yep, okay, the worst team in the SEC, which that's what Arkansas was when you haven't won an SEC game in over a thousand days. Yes, you are the worst team in the SEC. I thought they would get a little bit of a repeat of that, but nothing has said you have taken your program to a different place than having a really favorable draw in the SEC schedule. And instead, I mean, to be able to to miss both Alabama and Georgia, that that is a massive win. AM also missed both Alabama and Georgia. To me, that should still be considered a monumental victory. And it should still have such a big, big emphasis on whether or not you have a schedule with that that can possibly yield an SEC championship invite to me. Like that's, that's what we should be looking at more so than trying to figure out, well, how many teams won at least nine games last year? It's like, well, that's going to change year to year. You know, mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia have been the constants in the SEC. Um, I love, absolutely love that every current SEC team will face either Texas or Oklahoma in year one. I think that's great. I, Great way to be able to bring those two teams into the conference and just say, hey, what is it? What does it look like? And not necessarily have like some teams getting to face both of them and then other teams don't get to face them in year one. Like to me, the way that this was set up, this was the smartest move. You didn't necessarily give in to like, oh, you need to have like AM and Mizzou facing both of them. And then maybe Florida's gonna miss. No, no, no. To have everybody face at least one of those two teams. Let's see what we have in Oklahoma and Texas. That just throw them into the deep end, so to speak. I think that that is a really smart move from that standpoint. And Oklahoma is a good reminder why you probably shouldn't overreact to strength of schedule and it should not be set set in stone going into 2024. Because if we're talking about Oklahoma this time last year, I was saying, I think Oklahoma is going to go to the playoff in year one with Brent Venables. And yeah, I was very, very wrong on that. But if we were talking about Oklahoma at this time last year, it would have been automatic to pencil them in as one of the two or three toughest games on the schedule. And instead, what, what's Oklahoma? What? But let me ask you this. I was just saying, let me further scramble your baby brain here. At the beginning of the 24 season and at the end of the 2024 season, who do you think will be ranked higher? Texas or Oklahoma? Like two different answers. Good Lord, Will. Yep. Texas, Texas will be ranked higher coming into the year. Okay. Because there is a path for Texas to – lose a ton of production from this year's team. What could be, in my opinion, like if Texas were nine and three and ended up going to a new year six bowl would not surprise me at all. 
there is a path for them to sort of override the loss of production that they could have via the transfer portal and then also the arch buzz, which will fuel that. Whereas Oklahoma coming into 2024, you assume that they were going to be, well, actually you shouldn't assume that they're going to be without Dylan Gabriel because Dylan Gabriel still has multiple years of eligibility left. Oh my gosh. Isn't that bananas? Yeah. Think about that. I did a story for SDS on 10 quarterbacks in college football who still had multiple years of eligibility left that you would not think that they do. And he was very much on that list that I had to remind myself, oh yeah, he actually could end up playing in the SEC. He could get a matchup against Josh Heupel in Tennessee. Like how weird that is to think about with how long Dylan Gabriel was. Coach McKenzie Milton. And Coach McKenzie Milton. Oh, great point, Will. Great, great point. Yeah, so uh, what, what were we talking about? Yeah, so I would say that Texas will be ranked higher going into 2024. And yeah, I would probably say Texas has a better path to be ranked higher at the end of the season. Just because I, at this point, you're basing it on who do you have more faith in, Sark or Venables? Right. At this point, probably Sark. That might be unpopular. It's a crazy, yeah, it's a crazy thought. Yeah, I think it's, it's I, that to me, I think the Texas one feels easier at the beginning of the season. I feel like probably preseason that Texas team with Arch coming into the SEC is probably going to be like stupid overrated, but yeah, I'm so much more interested by that end of the year one, because I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma is like, I, I felt the same, like, like <clears throat> let me take a step back. When you said who had the hardest schedule, I was like, well, I know LSU plays, you know, USC and UCLA and Oklahoma and Alabama and all these other teams. So I was like, it's going to be hard to beat that. And I saw Florida and I was like, no shot, <laughs> no questions asked there. But point being, when you see that Oklahoma logo, that's like I saw the Oklahoma logo and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, we got to play Oklahoma. And I thought to myself, we would have skunked Oklahoma this year. Yeah. It would have been terrible, like for them, you know what I'm saying? Like, just to be honest. And so it's like, yeah, you just never know because it's two different things. It's two teams that, you know, very recently Oklahoma struggled. I'm not going to tell you they've struggled for a long period of time, but very recently they've struggled. And Texas has struggled for the last 10, 15 years in, in the Big 12. They're going to be coming to the SEC. And we might just be looking at teams that did the Mizzou for like two years where they were just like, what is going on? Like, because remember, Mizzou was five and seven, two straight years coming into the SEC. And then they like started getting it. Or was it one year or two years? My bad. I think it was just the one year. Or they were, they were, they were bad their first year in the SEC. And there then we go. The okay. Two, year two and year three, they obviously get to Atlanta. But yeah, like they might just kind of get punched in the mouth early, kind of like that, and just be like, oh, wait, hold on. We actually got to, like, I hate to be mean, but we got to prepare for every team. Like, we, every team's going to get our best, especially like these teams that come in with everyone hating them. Like, I'm not being mean, but you have an opinion of Texas. You have an opinion of Oklahoma if you're an SEC fan of any sort, even if you're like a Florida fan or, you know, a South Carolina fan. It's, well, you certainly have an opinion if you're a South Carolina fan. But point being, like, so they're going to actually be those teams that get people's best, but may not be ready for it, which those are always the most fun teams. Yeah, think about how quickly things things can change. Even go back to when AM joined the SEC. And yeah. nobody, nobody in their right mind going into the season before, so going into to 2011, would have said, oh, man, yeah, when that schedule comes out in 2012, like you're going to have to face a Heisman Trophy winner and Johnny Manziel. They're going to finish in the top five. Nobody would have been penciling them in for that because there right. was no sort of precedent. So it's difficult to look this far out. But, you know, we could think very different things of of teams across the board and even teams that we feel like we have a pretty good feel for. What about a team like Auburn? If Auburn yeah. with 
all of these guys in the portal goes eight and four this year, and then they return a lot of production. Maybe they win one of those games that they're not supposed to. And then all of a sudden Auburn, all of a sudden is like, Oh man, like you got to go to Jordan hair. Like that's brutal. And instead we're thinking about them in a different light. So obviously we'll have plenty of time to update our, our thoughts on, on the schedule and, and who got a, a tough draw, but some loss in the shuffle games for this 2024 slate, some games that won't be happening. That's kind of a bummer to think about no Bama A&M, no Bama A&M two years ago. That wouldn't have been a move the needle game at all because Alabama owned that owned that series. And it was like, oh God, even when AM was good in 2020, Bama still kicked the crap out of them. But then these last two years, AM has been obviously really bad, really disappointing. And they still played Bama down to the wire in both and end up splitting those two games and probably could have won both of those had they had a competent goal line call. But I'm bummed that we don't get that in 2024, given how much we have come to appreciate the Jimbo Saban feud, even if it was just fireworks a little over a year ago. But game like that, South Carolina kind of quietly, three of its rivalry games just wiped off the board. It's like, yeah, this this doesn't matter anymore. South Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, like none of those games are are, are on their slate for 2024. And that's going to feel weird because I, I think for different reasons, all three of those games this year in 2023 feel really important for determining who South Carolina is going to be and how we're going to view Shane Beamer at the end of year three. Um, no Tiger Bowl, no Tiger Bowl. Kind of a bummer. Yeah, I, We'll talk about LSU slate a little bit more with, with Jacob Hester, but I love the Tiger Bowl. My only trip to Baton Rouge was 2019 Tiger Bowl. And you just kind of expect weird things are going to happen. Even with that LSU team who was just on a different planet, still the college football God said, nope, we need to have a competitive game with Auburn. That's just the way that things go. But not having that game on the schedule, you're kind of like, oh yeah. And look, I, I get it. I've been the guy saying, hey, we will find new rivalries. It's all going to be okay. I'm still allowed to present some of these as like, oh, like, I'm, I'm going to miss that. I'm, I, we're, we're not going to be able to get that. There is still a little bit of that nostalgia, even for somebody who is embracing what the SEC is going to become. Yeah, I think like the Tiger Bowl, you know, that's always been, like you said, a big rivalry. Bo Nix, just the champion of the Tiger. Every time that dude suited up for the Tiger Bowl, it was electric. And like wacky. Two, two of these stupidest teams in the SEC, just the silliest Looney Tunes teams in the SEC, LSU and Auburn, obviously both named the Tiger. So when they meet up, it's like like LSU beat Auburn in 2013. Like <laughs> all these crazy years of like, how did you get like the Cam Newton game in 2010? Like there are so many weird games, obviously like an Auburn game more or less in the last miles career. But the one that I'm actually super sad about is LSU Mississippi State ceasing to exist because Mississippi State, we went to that game last year. It's on Mike Leach, and it's right around my birthday every year. Yep. I'll get to yep. go. There's this crazy record. I can't, I don't even keep up with it anymore, but it was like 14 straight or something. Like every year I got to just go to the game, watch it with my buddies around my birthday. LSU would beat Mississippi State, and I immediately was just like, oh, I'm going to miss playing that goofy, silly team that we always find a way to beat. And then I immediately saw the graphic they tweeted out, and I was like, this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to miss these weird people and playing them and beating them. Like, what a goofy team. So, yeah, it's I guess the two goofy, zaniest teams are off our schedule. That makes me sad. It's like when you, your little brother or something like that, that you've – and Mississippi State fans don't get too upset for me saying that you are a little brother to LSU. But it's kind of like, oh, you know – like you, you play basketball every day with your little brother. And then all of a sudden, like your little brother just decides he doesn't want to play anymore. And big brother's like, Oh, what's, what's, 
what's, what's wrong? And this, not that there was Mississippi State. That's a, no, what? Just scrap that. Just scrap no, that. I mean, at the end of the day, like I remember the DAT game. I was working at SDS for the DAT game and everybody was just talking crap the entire time. I was like, ah. And then the Nick Fitzgerald game was probably the worst loss where he was unstoppable. And, you know, he looked like a Heisman Trophy winner that day. That guy was insane. And so, point being, like, we definitely, the like, series has been way closer lately, lady, late. Lee and you know the the record passing yards against Mike Leach like it's kind of been a back and forth series quietly over the last like five or six years I was talking about before that during like the line them up and run less miles years LSU just had more talent but yeah and, and like I was just so sad we weren't on the goofy zany like humanoid Fl- Florida gator tiger CGI schedule I'm, so if you guys haven't seen that look that up wild uh, people people love to go over the top of these schedule reveals you got all it's because you got so much time in, in yep. this this time of year and people really the graphics departments man they're they're all over the place notable things that we are getting with the 2024 SEC schedule Georgia Bama on the regular season mm-hmm. sign me up for that until further notice that is always going to be game of the year potential in my book here's an interesting question the toughest game on Bama's 2024 schedule, Will. Home against Georgia, at LSU, at Tennessee, or at Oklahoma? I'm not being mean, but I do think we can cross Oklahoma off based on our last like schedule Fair. or our last conversation. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's gotta be it's gotta be Georgia, right? Like as much as you know, I joke about Tiger Stadium. Marler always has that stat about oh, they've only won so many times at Tiger Stadium, like or LSU has only defended Tiger Stadium so many times against Bama. So that home field obviously does not mean much uh, for LSU historically, and that is another rivalry that's quietly been back and forth over the last three or four years, uh, which is stupid to say because it always gets built up and we would get blown out. But these last four have been like really good games. Uh, so yeah, but I, I think that Georgia is obviously the team to beat right now in the SEC. If you're the person who lives for the Bama is locked into a tight one late, that's when you turn on a Bama game. I think you're going to like 2024. And yeah. I'm not saying that I'm not saying the dynasty's dead. I'm just saying there, there could be a lot of those opportunities with the way the schedule sets up Georgia at Texas. That should be fun. Little sugar bowl. We're back. We get a rematch of that. That's going to be fun. How many times between now and then will we hear someone claim that Texas is back over under infinity? Oh, I mean, yeah. Like I said, with the schedule release thing and like all the hype, like it's just been, it's been so ridiculous. There are so many ways it could go that like, if you're a Texas fan, you're just mainlining hopium right now. I was talking to some Georgia fans. They're disappointed about uh, their, their home slate and understandably. So just sell yourself on some fun road trips. I, I know that the home slate, it, it is a massive bummer kind of through 2024. Even the Clemson opener is in Atlanta. You don't get to see that game in Athens. But starting in 2025, I do think that is going to change for Georgia. And I say that without even really knowing the SEC schedule, because I'd be stunned if Bama didn't travel to Georgia in 2025. Eight, nine-game conference schedule, I don't think that matters. I think Bama goes to Georgia that following year. Um, Georgia home games will also include Texas or Oklahoma. Probably I'm assuming that's going to be the case. I think water's going to kind of find its level with that home slate. And if it doesn't just appreciate the fact that no team is worthy of entering Athens and presenting any sort of a challenge and you get to go home by halftime, <laughs> right. like, not the worst I, thing in the world. I just uh, want to say this really quick. I just peeped Texas's 2025 schedule just to see who they had locked in. Prepare ourselves boys for Texas as an sec team that we must root for at Ohio state. That is interesting. Did that game – I lose track of the games, the series that Ohio State has had to cancel, but I felt like that was canceled at some point. According to fbschedules.com, who has been pretty right, FBS, at, it's yeah. still on there. So like I said, like I was looking at it, it's like, who do we root for in this game? And it's like, has to be Texas now that they're in the SEC because if Ohio State beats them, they're going to pretend like they just beat Alabama. <laughs> 
True, true. Quinn Ewers, will he still be at Texas for that one in a rematch against his former school that he spent so much time at? Uh, probably not. New potentially fun 2024 games that I'm excited for. Alabama at Oklahoma, Tennessee at Oklahoma. I know we've had that. We had that in, in the 2010. Still, I think that could that has potential to be a good one. Uh, Oklahoma at LSU, Florida at Texas, and then obviously, buried the lead here, Texas at Texas A&M. That's college game day. I don't care if those teams suck. I, I, I don't care if those teams are, are fighting to get to Shreveport. College game day will be there. Um, smart move to reward the SEC or to reward AM with that home game in 2024. Well, savvy little thing. Um, I, I, I'm very interested to see kind of what that looks like on the back end if it does end up being the back and forth from there. The dumb hot take for that game is that both Sark and Jimbo will be fired by then, either will be coaching. Might see some people come out on Twitter and say that. Never mind the fact that Jimbo. Firing him at the end of the 2023 season would cost AM. My Iowa notepad tells me nearly $77 million. And I've already outlined kind of why I think Sark is more secure than people realize because of the whole Arch Manning thing. Mm-hmm. Even though, look, on the surface, nobody would be surprised if Texas paid 18 million bucks to fire a coach after year three. But my bet would be on both of those coaches still being there for that game in 2024, rivalry renewed. Texas, Texas A&M 2024 is just as the college football gods intended. That dumb steer Bevo will hopefully, hopefully not have some sort of pent up aggression, getting, get loose, maybe charging a certain reveille. We know Bevo loves nothing more than charging at dogs one eighth his size. And if that dumb steer gets loose and charges another one of our beloved mascots, Pita, come on. Just get him out of here. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the moment the cadets have been preparing for for generations, though, right? You see Bebo start charging, they like hop over the side. They're like, let's fight Bebo. It's like, oh, people are just punching Bebo. Like, get away from Emily. That would be a hilarious scene. It's like, this is why we don't have this rivalry because someone's going to fight Bebo. Bebo would stand down in a second. In a second. They'd just start whooping at him to scare him off. Bebo, just heal Bebo. <laughs> I think we're allowed to be excited for 2024 while also being bummed that we don't have another handful of headliner games, because if it was a non-game conference schedule, man, we would have like, seriously, we would be looking at this awestruck. It, it would be, it would feel like every single team is like, Oh my God, I got, I got the toughest schedule in the world. And maybe, maybe yeah. we will get that. I'm going to quadruple down. I'll say one more time. I think it happens in 2025. I do. I, yeah. Despite the stalemate, it's awkward, but I, I do hope that's the case and that there's a, a compromise between ESPN and the SEC because it would just be it would be fun to see it, especially in an era where the playoff size is it's tripled. Okay, it ain't fourteen playoff anymore. There will be regular season moments that weren't what they once were, at least for the sports elite. I realize that there's a, a group of teams where, where all of a sudden this becomes a lot more relevant. But any other thoughts on SEC scheduling announcements coming out last week? Yeah, I mean, as you know, an SEC podcast, people are going to say that we're, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid regardless. But I I do think that this is actually looking at these schedules, a pretty smart move to start with eight, or at least start with eight games, at least like warm people up. Because I can almost personally guarantee you throw that nine game in there and that would have completely cost at least, you know, one to three teams some type of a playoff chance heading into the end of the year. And it just wouldn't make for as compelling television just because like, 
I mean, you, you would have to think about how you're scheduling this stuff, right? I mean, like to your point about Florida playing UCF, like that series was just kind of up in the air. Like that could have gotten played whenever. So playing it next year is so perfect because it's like, okay, well, this is technically a team that was like out of conference and normally where we play a cupcake. But if we had a ninth SEC game, they wouldn't have any cupcakes from their schedule at all because they're they're out of conference for all three of the Florida teams. So uh, yeah, Samford, point- yeah, I mean, Samford, I, I think we have to count as a juggernaut given no, how yeah, good they look. If they had a... <laughs> Oh, good one. There you go. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the game that would probably get missed or not played, probably. you know, with the ninth game. That's what I'm saying. So like that, that would come off and then you'd end up playing, you know, some random other team. And so, or like good SEC team. So yeah, I think that's the thing is like, uh, you know, people are always going to be mad at the SEC and say, you know, whatever, but there will be enough quality wins in there to to get a team where they need to be if they're truly a good team. But at the same side, you know, I do agree with Sankey's position as far as the TV side of it. Of course, you thought about that before me. I, I'm glad to have you back. It's quick, quick aside on that. Perry texted me like something really, really in depth about like Texas's scheduling. And I was like, I took for granted that I could just hop on the Zoom call and ask you dumb questions twice a week. <laughs> It's like I'm really missing that in my life. I sound a lot dumber on Twitter these days because I'm just firing off the first thing I think of. Uh, but anyway, so like, yeah, I think I think that uh, even though it's going to sound like homerism, I do think going eight right now, there's really no reason not to because to your point, you know, they don't need help getting in. And if you're going to get something for free, which is their their positioning at ESPN, it's like, hey, we'll keep it eight, man. We don't really care. And and there's no reason to just give stuff up for free, which is, like I said, where the Big Ten is rapidly heading is just the uh, – there's a word for it I'm missing. But anyway. Okay, so, yes, speaking of that, because there, there are a lot of people outside of the SEC that feel the SEC is going to – once again, get the benefit of the doubt from the committee. And it's not fair because look at the amount of power five opponents they are playing. And I, I totally understand why there is that pushback, but keep, keep this in mind. If you think that the sec is just loaded with cupcakes and they're just all about making life as easy as possible on themselves from 2025 to 2029, there are six sec teams who have multiple power five non-conference games on their schedule, meaning they'll play at least 10 power five opponents. Alabama right. does that all five years. Florida mm-hmm. does that all five years. So does Georgia. So does South Carolina, Mizzou and Ole Miss. They have one year, which they have that, but really focus on Alabama and Georgia doing that and right. saying, we're going to play at least 10 power five opponents every single year, no matter if it's eight game conference schedule or a nine game conference schedule. That's your top two contenders right there. The big Ten's top three contenders. I think we would say Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state, Right. We, we can agree on that. Yeah. They will also be facing 10 power five teams every year from 2025 to 2029. So before you say that the SEC's can, that the SEC's contenders are going to get off easy forever. Remember what it would look like that, like what it would look like even if the SEC did decide we're going to a nine game conference schedule, all of a sudden the SEC contenders would actually be playing more despite the fact that we have two decades worth of data that shows us the SEC has a better conference than the big 10. I don't think that there's any pushback against that at this point, but keep that in mind because you're going to see a lot of people that are really frustrated, especially when those first playoff rankings come out and it's all oh, the sec is benefiting just because it doesn't want to schedule that ninth conference game. And by then we're probably going to know in 2024. And that's the ironic thing is this isn't really some proof of concept thing. If, if you're thinking that the sec is going to wait and see how this plays out in 2024, and then they'll make the decision afterwards if they want to expand and add that extra conference game. No, that's not the case. They, they they will get this decided by by this time next year. 
they, they will not have that proof of concept. And because remember, obviously 2023, Texas and Oklahoma aren't in the SEC yet. So they're, they're, they're stalling. They're stalling to try and get more money. That's what this all kind of comes down to. But it is a, a very interesting breakdown. And to see all the different people that have something at stake and why there has been such a difference in opinion, it, it feels like really since Texas and Oklahoma, we found out they're going to be joining the SEC. But it's too bad. Yeah, and I will say too, like people don't factor in how many SEC teams have these great uh, conference matchups. I mean, Florida State, no slouch. We see Clemson on here twice. You know what I'm saying? That's obviously one of those is is uh, perpetual and the other has been scheduled. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's not Georgia's fault that Georgia Tech stinks. Like I, I'm not going to hear, oh, Georgia Tech's a cupcake because that's their own fault. They've been good most of our lives. Um, and so, yeah, like you kind of look at those and it's just like, all right, like uh, then also like, you know, Kentucky Louisville, I feel is a great rivalry. So yeah. And then you go outside of that to that next level. It's like, I mean, Clemson is such a great proof of concept, as you were saying, great example where it's like, well, they play South Carolina, but then they schedule Georgia, Auburn, whoever outside of conference. So it's it's not like, oh, well, yeah, we're going to schedule Duke or we're going to schedule whoever and just have that power five team that we can hold up and say, look, we played 10 power five teams. Like, no, these are teams, like I said, LSU's playing USC yeah. and UCLA, which feels aggressive. I'll be honest. It feels like one of those is kind of pointless, but you know what? Here we are. <laughs> yeah. If teams like LSU and Alabama, Georgia were, were simply saying, you know what? We don't really want to load up the schedule. We're gonna, we're just gonna hope that that this is good enough. I would understand some of the pushback, but I, I feel like a lot of people who are really pushing back on that as it relates to the playoff, they are not factoring in what those future schedules look like. And you know, they they have said we we will load up non conference play. We will play anybody anywhere anytime. I know Kirby was talking about how it, how much it's overrated. I don't think it's overrated the, the debate between eight games and nine games because of the stark difference in the playoff success in the four team era. But at the same time, I kind of understand what he's saying as someone who has been willing to play multiple power five opponents in non conference play every single year. Yeah, I mean Alabama's got that's the other one is Wisconsin. Like I said, it's like not being mean, but not Bama's fault that Wisconsin for most of our lives is in the top ten, top five team, and now they're kind of a little bit down. They have a new head coach, so we'll see what they do. But yeah, I mean, if you look at Bama again, all this is subject to change. I fully understand that. But if you look at Bama, they they scheduled Florida State for twenty twenty five and Wisconsin. Yeah. Like you're playing Wisconsin and Florida State at a conference, and obviously, you know. Auburn and whoever else is on that schedule. So, yeah, I mean, I would joke about Bama's schedule. I would joke about Georgia's schedule just kind of like throughout, you know, my life. But now it's like, okay, those jokes are gone. Like once you start scheduling these huge teams at a conference and you have more conference games and you had Texas and Oklahoma, it's like, bro, shut up. Just watch Rutgers, all right? Like, yeah, just, just watch, enjoy your Rutgers game. Shut up. <laughs> Bama ain't scared. And if Bama, if Bama was scared, we'd be hearing about cancellations for all these, for a lot of these future non-conference games. Yep. And that has not been the case, at least not yet. All right. Let's kick it to Hester. Did a little home and home with him. I went on off the bench on Monday morning and then chatted with him just a few hours later. So spent my Monday with one of our great friends, Jacob Hester. Talk some SEC running back things, a little bit of LSU, Mason Smith, a bit more. We went all over the place. So here is Jacob Hester. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the one and only Jacob Hester. Uh, Hester, let's start with the important stuff here. Baby number five can be here any day. Your lovely wife is about to have baby girl number one. Yes. What are the emotions like for you right now, especially knowing that you're about to get that much closer to being just like your boy, Philip Rivers? Yeah, he's my mentor. So when people ask me about having children, I'm like, look, I'm only having baby number five. I'm trying to keep up with my mentor, Philip Rivers. And also, you know this, Connor, I have a 12 passenger van. Well, there's only currently right now six in our family, soon to be seven. Someone's got to fill up the 12 passenger van and it might as well be me. So I'm not even saying that the roster is complete. We still might have transactions out there. 
What? It is, yeah, look, it is what it is at this point. And again, like when your mentor has nine, you're only having baby number five. Like there's still things that you have to live up to. Now it could be, it could be complete. I'm not saying that it's, you know, one way or the other, but I'm just saying a 12 passenger van leaves room to add to the roster. My mom was one of 12. So I, what? Yeah. I Wait, we've known each other for like five years and I'm just now hearing this. My mom was one of 12. She is a triplet. And it was, it's a little bit different because my grandma was, it wasn't like she had them all like year after year. I guess she kind of did, but look, you have 12. I, I don't know. There's a way to do it. That's not having them year after year, even if you have triplets in there. That's true. And she was <laughs> eight, eight, not so it was nine, 10 and 11. My mom was number nine. And I always say to my grandpa, like, thank God you didn't stop after eight. So like yeah. maybe one day your future kids will say, thank God you didn't stop after number five. And you just kept going and tried to build yourself an entire football team. Yeah, or a six foot and under basketball team. Either way, six foot and under. Your kids are going to be tall, man. What are you talking about? Your I mean, kids are yeah, already maybe, really I mean, tall. Yeah, maybe so. So my oldest, who's thirteen, he's going into the eighth grade. He's got, a, you know, he didn't turn fourteen till September. He just got me. He just yeah, passed I saw me that. up. I yeah, didn't want to mention that, but he did. Up. It's okay. It's okay. He mentions it literally every day. And so, you know, our dynamic, we certainly have tall people in our family. Look, I'm 5'11". It is what it is. And I got 5'11", Connor, at the NFL Combine. If I'm being honest with myself, I think I'm 5'10 and a half. I don't even think I'm 5'11". But, you know, that's a measurement that a lot of people use. So I'll use it here. But you know this. I've told you this a thousand times. I'll tell the audience again, low man wins every single time. So I'm okay with it. That's hey, you're you're exactly right. And there's nothing wrong with accepting that. I have already accepted the very <laughs> likely possibility that my daughter, who is measuring in the 99th percentile. Yeah, let's don't height, bury the lead. Let's don't bury the lead. I mean, you gave me that one week checkup. Dude, you got a volleyball player on your hands. At two weeks, she's coming in at nine pounds, seven ounces, and she right. is in the 99th percentile in terms of uh, in terms of length, height, whatever you want to call it oh, for yeah. a baby. My wife is 5'10. I am 5'8. So yeah. I am already picturing this world in which, you know, when I'm old and gray and I'm shrinking, which I'm not that far off from it, but you know, it's coming. <laughs> I'm going to look and I'm going to have two women who are taller than me, and I'm okay with that. There is nothing oh, yeah. wrong with that. Low man wins, just That's like right. you said. There's no doubt. Look, my mom's 5'10". I mean, we always looked eye to eye growing up. It's okay. Low man does win. We all know that we've gotten that out of the way. And I want all of my children to be taller than me. Like people are like, how do you feel about that? I'm like, great. I'm hoping one of those jokers <laughs> finds a way to play professional sport if we can, or maybe even at, at bare minimum, let's get college paid for. Yep. That's real. Actually, bare, that's the top goal. Let's get college paid for. Then we'll figure the rest of the things out after that. Your daughter is now set up for the most intimidating atmosphere ever to walk into. <laughs> Four older brothers. Yeah. Dad played in the NFL. Outside of you sitting on your front porch with a shotgun and a can of dip spit, I don't know that mm. you can create a more intimidating atmosphere for her, despite the fact that you were a very kind human being who is not intimidating at all. Um, I will also be wearing a neck roll at all times. <laughs> like when someone comes to pick my daughter up for a, a first date situation, I'm going to wear the old 1990s peewee football neck roll, the foam one, like the big, thick, white foam neck roll. I'll have that on. And he'll know, right? He'll know exactly what that means. It means I mean business, all right? And I will ISO block your ass right now, kid, okay? Oh, God. Well, just, just turn on the film, 2007, Florida. <laughs> That's well, it's going to be grainy. It's already grainy. By that point, they might, they might not even have something that will play that tape. But it's okay. It's okay. That's true. I'll still That's have true. it. Okay, so speaking of of LSU Florida, uh, let's let's talk some schedule stuff. That's still happening for 2024. 
you got the only thing that you wanted, right? That was the only thing on the Jacob Hester checklist in terms of LSU's 2024 schedule. I mean, all jokes aside, it, it kind of was. I, I love that game. And it's look, it's not because that's the game that I'm probably best known for. And I had that moment. Like, I love that I had that moment. But Florida to me, Florida and LSU, it was the rivalry when I was in school. It, it just was. And Coach Saban made it that way. When I first got there in 2004, LSU won the Natty in 03. And then Florida was the only team to beat him in that year. And we're about to play him in 04. And I remember him getting up in front of the team. And Steve Spurrier had called him basically to talk trash about, yeah, you won the national championship, but you still couldn't find a way to beat my Gators. And you know Nick. And that just that made him so angry and i remember him telling us that story and poor ron zook had to pay for steve spurrier's comments and we go we beat him in the swamp but it was a great game i mean joe Adai just took over that game and so like for me and my mom was born in gainesville and like when i was growing up you know like that was kind of the standard of the sec like cd and those teams that they had and danny warfel and we could go name after name like that was kind of the standard in our footprint and then that's what we kind of watched and certainly being an offensive guy so it just it already meant something to me very early in my career, and then we have another great game in 2005, 2006. They get the best of us, and they go win a national championship. 07, we get the best of them. We win a national championship. The next year, they win one. So it almost kind of turned into a, if you win this game, you win the natty. Like, it felt like that, at least. And there's always, look, there's bad blood, which is always great for a rivalry game. There's all there's always something crazy, uh, a fake punt, a fake field goal, uh, going forward on fourth downs. Uh, a fog game, a cleat throw, a 50-whatever, eight-yard field goal it was in the fog that Cade York somehow, I couldn't even see the goalpost, but he nailed it. That game gives you something every single time. And so, like, for me to have that in 2024, I love it. It's probably going to go away at some point. But I just don't – I don't think people realize – and I got onto my guy Andy Staples because, like, ah, it's not a rivalry game. I'm like, man, but it is. Like, they've played that game every year – since the early 70s like that's a game that goes back a long time that people just, i think they might have missed like one year in that whole run but these schools play each other uh i mean the florida goal line stand it's not just lsu moments i mean where darius guys goes the wrong way and they stop them and they you know win that game there's just so many moments connor that game can't go away for me and it's not just because again the 2007 game that's just a piece of the puzzle you can make a case it's the best crossover rivalry in the SEC in the 21st century. Now, I, I realize other people would push back on that and say, oh, you know what? What about like Bama, Georgia or something like that? What it what it has become with Kirby yeah. and Saban? And, and there are definitely other ones that you could probably point to. And I know a lot of people love Georgia, Auburn, but like there's something to be said for that in Alabama, Tennessee, what it was last year. But for so long, obviously, it was a one sided rivalry and how crazy that game has been. I, I think, you know, you, you factor that in and you look at the schedule and you say for LSU, okay, we actually should feel pretty good about this. You know that you're still going to end up having to face Bama, yeah. but really nice draw. Like Bama and Oklahoma are at home. The road slate, in my opinion, four winnable games for LSU. Should we be talking about 2024 as this real title window for LSU? Is, there, is it probably too early to be saying something like that? Well, Look, when it was released, I mean, you take a look at it and there's a lot of schools that I could be like, okay, that's a tough situation. That's an easy situation. I guess we won't really know until we get there because college football more so than ever just changes like in, in a snap. It used to be like, it was kind of the same and you could kind of predict three, four years out. You can't really do that anymore. But right now, as you look at it and you could throw in the non-conference games that you and I were talking about earlier, you've got USC in Las Vegas 
That's going to be what we think is a difficult game, depending on how USC continues to grow. UCLA is going to be at home. Now, UCLA beat you when you went to the Rose Bowl. I think they're building a nice program there. They're going to be in the Big Ten. They're going to have some juice. And so you throw those two non-conference games, which still like two Big Ten games against USC and UCLA just doesn't feel right. But hopefully by that point, it will feel normal. But, I mean, when you look at the SEC slate, I think you did well. I mean, getting Bama and Oklahoma at home, um, I was I'm shocked that they didn't have Texas LSU. Yeah. Think about the 2019 game. LSU goes to Texas, one of the best games of that year. A third and 17 conversion wins you that game. You miss out on the return trip because of COVID. So LSU never gets that return trip. There was a whole – they had the heat on in the locker room where there was no air conditioning. I mean, there was back and forth. They're bordering states. It feels like – that's going to be a thing. And I know LSU and Texas A&M have kind of become their own thing, but I'm shocked that Texas isn't on the 2024 schedule for LSU. But look, if we're sitting here and we're predicting it, you know, getting Oklahoma, because you were going to get one or the other. We all know that by now. You're going to get Texas, Oklahoma, and you get that game at home. There's nothing really to complain about as far as LSU's schedule. Although I do think, you know, throwing the two Big Ten games in there makes it very interesting. I'm going to confess something to you, and I I don't often confess when something slips past me a little bit. I just kind of try and make up for it, and I'll talk about it a little bit more than than I did just to make up for lost time. But I kind of forgot about Mason Smith a little bit. And I'm just talking early in the offseason as we're talking about LSU projecting with 2023, and Harold Perkins is the headliner, of course. But he's fully cleared after the season-ending injury that he suffered, obviously first series against Florida State. And if I said to you, all right, is there a chance that the best player on LSU is not Harold Perkins and it's instead Mason Smith this year? Is that totally bananas or is there something to that? I don't think it would be totally crazy to say that because of who we know he can be and who he was. Like, gosh, the first couple of plays of a Florida State game, you're like, okay, here he is. This is the guy that we knew he could be. He had a, you know, a freshman year under his belt where he played a ton and then, you know, jumps up one time, comes down wrong on the turf. And we don't see him again. As far as talent, I mean, he's got as much talent as anybody's going to be on any field that he plays on. But now it's like, okay, what are you going to look like after that knee injury? So, look, I'm not going to hate on you for, you know, not really having him on the forefront of your mind when a guy gets injured like that. But also the guy that kind of stepped in, Makai Wingo, was an All-American True. at the same position. So, you know, he takes away some of that from Mason because he went in there and he dominated. I mean, you go look at the pro football focus grades every single week, and he was tops in the country like week after week, and he played like every single snap. And we should have known that he was going to be a player. When he came over from Missouri, all the recruiting services had him like as the highest-ranked transfer LSU was taking in, but nobody was talking. And I'm raising my hand. Like, we were talking about, like we often do, the skilled players and the DBs and the, all the uh, – Jaden Daniels coming in. It's like, no, this Makai Wingo guy is pretty special. And, he, I mean, he lived up to it and then some. So he was a third-team All-American, so that takes a little bit of it away. But now you've got – like when you look at – I think Athlon had their first uh, team defense, All-SEC. I think both those guys were the defensive tackles, Makai Wingo and Mason Smith. And that's going to be important because the edge is going to be a question for LSU. Yeah. Like who takes over for BJ Ojolari? Who takes over for Ali Gay? Th- those are guys that played a long time in an LSU uniform and played at a high level, especially BJ. So you got some transfers coming in and you got some candidates to take over, including some young guys. But if you're going to stay true to Harold Perkins being a Mike linebacker in the middle of that defense and not playing edge, okay, then you better have somebody step up because you can have 
really good defensive tackles that are going to help in the run game, but you need somebody to also set the edge and get after the quarterback. And that's going to be a question like for fall camp. If I go out to practice, I'm going to be paying attention to that group. And and Mason Smith in, in an ideal world is helping you take care of some of those questions you have at edge. And ideally you're being able to kind of move him a little yeah. bit interchangeably. You can line up on the, on the inside a little bit on the outside and think about how much he could potentially be freeing up those guys at the next level and make life easier on a Harold Perkins, who is going to be at the top of every single scouting yeah. report, no matter what. And if he's able to take on multiple guys, even if he yeah. isn't lighting up the stat sheet, there's a lot to like, I, I kind of wonder is there and and I I probably won't be a guy who puts him on on the preseason All SEC team just because I'm like I, I need to see it. Your best right. game is against what was it against like McNeese State or something like that where he really kind of broke out, looked like a stud. But what's the ceiling for him? Are we talking about somebody that has those Jalen Carter type that that Jalen Carter type upside? Is is that crazy to say, or should we be kind of calming expectations a little bit more? Wait and yeah. see mode coming off the injury. Look, you got to go do that. Like, you have to go be that guy. Now, he has it in him. Like, if you're talking about potential, he's got that in him. Remember, he's a five-star guy. I mean, he was one of the top players in the country. Uh, as a freshman, you saw it. You saw flashes. But now you got to go see it against the big dogs. You got to go see it against a Florida State in the opener. So, like, yeah, potential. But potential gets your foot in the door, right? You got to do something after you get that foot in the door that makes me say, okay, yeah, he can be Jalen Carter. Because Jalen Carter – made it impossible for teams to do anything against Georgia at times. And I look, I, I played with Glenn Dorsey, who in, in, in my time was the most disruptive defensive tackle in college football. Connor, there was times we had to shut down practice. Like if we were going good on good, ones on ones, we couldn't get a playoff sometimes. And we had a pretty good offensive line. But there would be times and we'd be like, hey, all right, get him out, get him out, get him out of practice. We got it. We're trying to get a playoff here, nine on seven, ones on ones in training camp, and we can't block 72, get him out of here. I mean, that's how disruptive he was. Is that potential in Mason? It is. But, again, coming off a knee injury. Now, he's had a full year. It wasn't like it was the last game of the season. It was the first game of the season. So, he's fully healthy. He's ready to go. But, and, and T-Bob and I have talked about this a lot because T-Bob had an ACL. The first couple times out there, man, you're just, you're worried and you're nervous and you're thinking about it. And that's going to be a portion of his offseason. Now, how quickly can he get rid of that? That's going to be up to him, but you don't really have time to wait. You've got Florida State, as we mentioned, in that opener. So he has the potential, but now you got to go out there and see it. Going up against Dorsey every day in practice, how many moments did you just say to yourself, please, God, let just, just let him have an off day? Because that's back in the time, too, where yeah. you're, you're, you're probably dealing with a lot more full contact in practice than what oh, we're yeah. talking about today. Yeah. And uh, you look for me, like my specialty was like either a fullback belly right in the middle or like a 2030 ISO right in the middle. And when I first got there, it was Kyle Williams who played like 37 years in the NFL was an all pro a half those years might even end up being a hall of famer. Like, okay. But then it was like Glenn Dorsey. And uh, again, like Glenn's like the nicest human being of all time, which it didn't really match his play because he was so dominant. But there was so many times, like, I'd felt like, oh, man, I'm reading the defense. I'm good. You putting a foot in the ground to go, like, a cutback? Because he'd be on the front side. He would throw the center, like, three yards out of the way and just be waiting on you. And then would laugh at you, right, because he knew exactly what he just did. So, it, man, it was so difficult. I, I'd never been around a player where literally, like, Jimbo calling the offenses would, like, yell at Polini, like, hey, hey, get him out of there. We're trying to practice, and we can't get a playoff. It's like what Bama did with Will Anderson. Like yeah, moments where you just this isn't even fair. We're not we're not going to get anything done if no. we just have guys. I can't like, like this. I can't imagine going against as a running back going against Will Anderson in training camp in one on ones. 
right? Pass protection, because that's always like a defensive drill because there's a lot of space. Not that he would need a lot of space, but like, I would almost look back and be like, y'all know this is going to go bad for me, right? Like y'all know there's nothing I could do. Like, cause I can't cut him. It's practice. He's going to either run through me or around me. I'm just letting y'all know, all right? You're setting me up for failure here because yeah, that, that's one of those guys where you can't get things done because he's so damn good and disruptive. Yeah, you can say iron sharpens iron, and then you can realize <laughs> you like, can try. <laughs> sure, you can try. Look, like you're, you're not gonna maybe back down from the from the task at hand, but you're just you know you're realistic as well. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Bama, are you fully prepared for the fact that if LSU is picked to win the West, it pretty much just guarantees Bama is going to win a national title? You're ready for that, right? Yeah. Isn't it wild that every time that this kind of comes up and it's like, well, maybe there's a team and it hasn't always been LSU, but it's been LSU more times than not. If it's a team getting, you know, picked out of the West, it's not Alabama. It's just like, okay, we'll, we'll find a way. And they do. And this one feels a little bit different. There, there's some questions that a lot of us have, but you know, LSU is kind of different as well too. Like LSU under Brian Kelly feels a little bit different. And it, it is, it's wild because LSU outside of Bama the last 23 years, you know, they've had the most success as far as national championships, but it still does feel weird for everyone to kind of be so high on a team not named Alabama coming out of the SEC West, even a team like LSU. And so, yes, getting the media days, there's going to be the questions, who did you have first in the West? Because, like, we know who you had first in the East. That's that's Nobody cares about that. We know it's going to be Georgia. And if you didn't choose Georgia, then we're going to have real questions about why are you, why are you here at SEC media day, right? But – I don't know, man. I don't I don't know if it's a sure thing, Connor. It might be a 50-50 type deal because the more people I talk to, and I think you're you're Alabama, right? As of right now, yes. Right. But I've okay. also said I've also said that if Alabama is if LSU is the pick to win to win the West, I might just yeah. have to change my national championship pick and just make to sure Alabama. That it's Alabama. Yeah. Right. And, and man, I, both teams are, are loaded. Both squads have guys. We all know that. That's why they're LSU and Alabama. It's the quarterback situation that I think a lot of people are leaning on when it comes to choosing between the two, because it is a close battle. And when you look at what Jaden Daniels was able to do last year, was he perfect? No. Was he big in the Florida Ole Miss Alabama stretch as good as any quarterback in the country almost during that three week stretch. But he also had games like Arkansas and A&M, but you would expect your number two, he's going to be more like the guy we saw in that three week stretch and that two week stretch of games and so for me if i'm going you know whoever it is at alabama if it is buckner because he comes from notre dame you would assume obviously he's him and tommy reese and they have that relationship who are you going to choose are you going to choose Jaden daniels and even garrett nussmeyer right if you want to go two quarterbacks deep at lsu or tyler buckner then i think you're still going to pick lsu in the quarterback battle so it's a very tight race i do think lsu has obviously the matchup there as far as quarterbacks but you know, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like at SEC Media Day. I don't know if people are really going to choose LSU, but the rosters are very, very similar. They're not that far apart where I think it matters because I think either way, it's going to be an incredibly close vote. But knowing Coach Saban like I do, he's almost probably hoping that LSU gets the nod because he'll use that as motivation every single day. The yummy rat poison. It's going to be there. It's going to yeah. be there. I'm ready for it. And I then the make- other way, Brian Kelly, like he wants – like I, he seems like – at LSU, like he wants all of it. Yeah. Which is I, I didn't look, I didn't really know that about him, but even having like private conversations, public like what like he like he's like, look, I'm at LSU. Like, yeah, we want those expectations. We want to be first. We want to play Alabama. We want the so like that is something like 
two coaches can take that two different ways and try to run with it. I want to pick your brain about Quinchon Judkins a little bit because I brought this point up a few weeks ago and feel free to use this, these numbers on one of the eight different shows that you host <laughs> um, last 15 seasons, Judkins, Chubb, Gurley, Lattimore, they had the most rushing yards of any sec true freshman Chubb, Gurley, Lattimore. They all get hurt as sophomores. Yeah. Judkins averaged 21.1 carries per game last year. Most by a power five true freshman since Jonathan Taylor, AJ Dillon, they hit that mark 2017. You know the position, you know the league. You also know how tricky it is to kind of navigate that workload, especially for a team like Ole Miss, who I, I think it's fair to say they lack some of those proven offensive weapons. How would you kind of yeah. manage his workload, especially knowing the scheme, and that it's really hard to kind of dial it back? Yeah, you got to be careful. You have to pay attention to it. And remember, and by the way, let's start off with saying he's a stud. I mean, absolute stud, over 1,500 rushing yards right at – I mean, almost had six yards of carry in the SEC – but there's no Zach Evans and people kind of forget that. Like he, he took some workload off of Jenkins last year. He could come, I mean, he was a thousand yard back on in his own right. Who's going to be that guy. Can you have that guy come in and have that type of production where Lane Kiffin doesn't feel like he has to run Jenkins out there every single time they run the football, because this is a football team for whatever reason. I, I don't know if it's, if it's because he's an offensive visor guy and everybody that wears a visor and is an offensive coach likes to throw the football. That's not Lane. Not Lane wants to run the football. He is going to run gap scheme run. He's going to run power. He's going to run counter. He's going to run. I mean, he'll run zone, obviously, but I mean, he wants to run the football and kind of do it in a physical manner. Who's going to be that secondary back? Will they have that guy? Can, can that back come in and give you what Zach Evans gave you a year ago? Because you don't want to have Jenkins up to, 330 carries. I mean, he had 274 last year, and, and that's a lot. That's a high, high number. Now, if you stay around that number, I think you're okay. What does the quarterback run game look like? Who wins the quarterback battle is going to be important as well. But depending on which quarterback wins, that's going to kind of set up how many runs you'll have from the quarterback position. So even more so than actually Judkins himself, you got to see who can be Zach Evans, right? Who can be that secondary back that can come in there. Now, there was a slight drop-off, not a huge one. I mean, Zach Evans still was a really good running back, but who can be that guy is going to be the question. Ulysses Bentley is the guy that that they're hoping. All bang the drum team member. Ulysses Bentley, who came over from SMU last year. Yeah. You just hope hurt. so, so you can say that name as many times as you possibly can. It's a Ulysses, great name. Ulysses Bentley the fourth. Oh, there's three others. There's three others. Studs. I would love to track all of them down and just talk to them about what it was like when they realized their name was Ulysses Bentley and that it had happened before. It's an all time name. It's it really almost is. like as soon as you set that name up, like, you know, you're going to be studly in something. I don't know what it is. Like RB singer feels like that could be one as well, Ooh. but which, you know, I love my RB. You do. Oh yeah. Okay, I didn't know too. this. Oh, I mean, Connor, when I was making a mix CD, and passing it out in, in middle school and high school, it was going to have Usher. It was going to have Jagged Edge. It was going to have Ooh. Jodeci. I mean, it was going to have all of it. Oh, yeah. When you about it. Tony when Rich you, Project, if you go a little bit farther back. And then people would look at you and be like, why is this guy wearing all this Hollister with puka shells and a chin strap uh, beard? Whoa, why is he whoa, handing whoa. out a chin strap? It was a soul patch, sir. You didn't have the chin. I had the I chin strap. I see. I could not, man. That was, that was a lot. You know, you had to get it just right. See, I just went for the soul patch. That's uh, it's an interesting look. I, I'll, I'll say that, but <laughs> you look, I, I look back on Jacob Hester on recruiting visits. And when you, I think you posted that to Instagram, like, what was that a couple of weeks ago or something yeah. like that? And I'm thinking to myself, God, that guy was the most popular kid in the entire school. Wasn't it? 
Well, look, I mean, you are you you and I are the same age. You know the look. No, I we're mean, not. It, no, we're not. Don't put me in that kind of how old do you think I am, Hester? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm I'm older than you are. Uh you're probably 34. All right, that's close enough. I'm 33. That's good. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm 38. I was trying to give myself a couple of years, <laughs> but you know the time. I mean, you were in middle school, so you were trying to be the high school guy. We all try to be the high school guy when we're in middle school. It was all the rage, okay? At least it was at my school. Like Hollister, Abercrombie, it was the Puka Shells. You just went to the beach that summer. You went to Destin or PCB or one of those. You got yourself a nice necklace. You might have had some sun in in your hair from playoff baseball because everybody dyed their hair. Look, it, it was a vibe, okay? I know it's hard to explain the vibe that it was uh, here, you know, in the year of our Lord, 2023, but it was in the early 2000s. You fit the vibe. It, it wasn't gritty. You, you turned into a no, much grittier version no, of yourself. But yeah, that's okay. I mean, my dad would remind me how gritty less it was all the time. <laughs> I mean, my dad, former Marine, city policeman, he, uh, yeah, he let me know about it all the time. Do you remember your career high for carries in a game? Ooh, um, Arkansas, two thousand seven. Very good. How many did you have that day? Oh gosh, I have twenty two. Twenty eight. Oh, 28. Okay. That was, that, you know, we lost that game, obviously, but that was a fun one. Uh, if, you, if you're a fan of running the football between McFadden and Felix Jones and Peyton Hillis and, and myself, like we were like, it was just, hey, we're going to turn around. We're going to hand it off and we're going to have success. That was a fun game to be a part of. I, like We lost it. Very unfortunate. But as far as like memorable moments that I remember, I remember watching those three running backs being on the sideline and being like, man. Th those are some dudes like they got if they had if they had a different situation maybe at, at quarterback and and i'm not hating on casey dick but if they had like maybe an offense that just helped them out a little bit too like just something a little bit better at that position then we're talking about probably a different arkansas team although the year before they went to the sec championship game i mean they weren't chopped liver by any means but those three running backs together that, that should be illegal having that much talent McFadden could have won the Heisman that year, could have won it in 06. Yeah. I thought he had a better case in 06. And we kind of we we dug into that a while ago with debates down south and like McFadden versus Troy Smith, this weird like a sophomore can't win the Heisman thing. But now it's almost like a running back can't win the Heisman because since 2010, we've had as many running backs as receivers win the Heisman trophy. Derrick Henry, 2015, since then. Bryce Love is the only running back to even make it to New York. That was back in 2017. We've seen more defensive linemen make <laughs> the trip to New York than running backs during that yeah. stretch from 2016 to 2022. We're now both voters. Do we need to lead some sort of, I hate to call it a rebellion, but some sort of movement to get running backs back into the Heisman Trophy conversation? Gosh, I hate it. Uh, I hate it so much. I hate that it's being devalued, not only at the college level, but obviously the professional level as well. I mean, you talk about McFadden in 06. I mean, I remember him pulling away from a guy that I'd never seen be pulled away from in LaRon Landry. I mean, he was just doing things that were ridiculous. And it, like, if a guy like that can't go win a Heisman Trophy, I remember thinking that at the time. And they've had running backs since then, but I'm like, that, if that's not the best player in the country, then I just don't know the game that I love. I, I just don't know it like I thought that I knew it. But then, like, now we get farther down the road, and it's just like there's not getting the love. It's, it doesn't matter who you look at, right? I mean, look at the teams in the national championship game. It's like, yeah, we didn't really talk about those running backs. We talked about Max Duggan and Stetson Bennett. And I get it. The quarterback's the top billing. It's on the marquee. I get that. But just around the country. 
Like you just don't, you don't hear people talk about running backs. I mean, B. John Robinson was really the only one that probably got the love a year ago. And you know, if it's 20 years ago, he was probably the guy we talked about more than anybody, but year after year, they just get devalued. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking like who would Ole Miss be without Junkins? Who would Arkansas be without Rocket, uh, Rocket Sanders? Who would, you know, Kendall Milton's going to be a stud at Georgia this year. Like who would they be without that guy? Just look at you know, a guy, even a guy that we don't talk about enough, like in Josh Williams for LSU, you go back and you watch the Alabama game. There's like seven plays where if he doesn't make them, LSU doesn't win. Like where would these teams be without that running back? And, you know, I just, obviously I'm biased towards the position, but it's just like, he's on the field. He's doing the things that he's always done, but for whatever reason, we just assume anybody can do those things. Like, Junkin's going to run in for 1,567 yards in the SEC, and we're like, oh, it's fine. We'll get another guy in two years. He'll do the same thing. It's like, are you sure about that? Like, are you really sure that that's not, not valued the way it's supposed to be? So I'm better. I get like, it. Like, Junkin's had the most rushing yards for a true freshman in the SEC, like second second all time, next to, next to just Herschel, right? Like, we're – we talk about these guys in the preseason and then for whatever reason, it feels like none of them can ever live up to expectations. And it's, it's strange because you have studs at the position coming into this year with, with Corum and Judkins. And obviously rocket is, is someone that's going to be a household name, or at least he yeah. should be, but you kind of look at it and you're like, all right, so what's the path? Do you have to be something that we've never seen before? Because I think Derrick Henry and Chris McCaffrey, you can argue that that was sort of apex mountain for running backs in, in 2015. Yeah. And they they are tough to come up with comps for. And any comp to them just feels sort of lazy. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, what is it going to take for a running back to truly break through? Because Blake Horm ain't win the Heisman. Okay, you can clip this if you I want. Know. If you like Blake Corm ain't showing us anything that we haven't already seen. And even Judkins, who was ridiculously good as a true freshman, I'm like, no, nah, I don't think he's gonna win the Heisman. Like, what would that take to break through and give us something that we haven't seen before? I don't know that it can be done, not with the way that offenses are ran right now I, I truly don't like I don't I don't know because you you don't have those offenses like a Leonard Fournette when he was at LSU like he was in the conversation because you knew hell or high water he was getting the football and he was going to get it 25 30 times a game they're going to run toss dive and it was going to be the Lenny show I just I, I don't know that we're going to get that right now everything changes and sometimes it, it comes back in vogue but even saying that like I don't believe it really because I'm like well, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, they're going to run some pro-style offense. I mean, Blake Corum's going to get a ton of carries, but I just don't know that it's going to be enough. It is just a position that is going to be thought of as, we'll get a guy. You don't have a guy, we'll get a guy. Oh, you don't, uh, It's fine, we'll get a guy. And it's thought that way in the NFL, too, now, which is just mind-boggling to me. It's like, oh, we'll get a guy in the fourth round. And it's just a position that – you know, for whatever reason, man, it's just, it's not valued. And you almost think that anybody can do it. So I don't know, Connor, that we're going to be in a position anywhere close that we're going to see a running back even be in the conversation. Like if you, if you ask me which one has the best opportunity, it's probably Blake Corum, but even, I mean, even Blake Corum splits carries with Edwards. So that that's a portion of it as well. Like all these backs, they like, they've got a guy that they split time with. Right. And like that's what made what Clyde Edwards Elaire did in 2019 kind of different is he played 92% of the snaps that year. It led the, I mean, it led the power five without question. I think it was second in the country because you're just not going to get that anymore. You're not going to get a true like bell cow. 
because I tell people all the time, like bell cow is a di different conversation than RB one. You can be RB one, but you might have two, three, four, and five that also play like a true bell cow means you're playing over 90% of the snaps. You're not coming out on third down. You're going to be the best rusher and pass protector, the best catcher. You're, you're going to be all of that. And that's what Clyde was for that team. And so he didn't come out like those guys. It was a, a stat that I kept pulling up uh, time and time again that year because nobody else was doing it. And I just, I don't know that anybody like on our list, like of our list of, of running backs, top running backs in the SEC, like even as much as I think Kendall Milton could be an absolute, if Kendall Milton had 250 carries, I think we're talking about numbers that 16, 1700 yards. I, I think he's that kind of a guy. I mean, last year he had almost 600 yards on 85 carries, you know what I'm saying? But I just don't think that, like George is going to have three guys. <laughs> like yeah. I can't even, I couldn't even name it. Like give me three or four guys and they're going to play three or four running backs. And so like, I just don't even think you have the opportunity to be that guy anymore. Will Shipley's the only one that came to mind as an interesting one because yeah. he gets to play in the new offense and maybe that can look different. He has truly emerged and Clemson fans have been banging the drum for him to get more carries. And if all of a sudden he sees that crazy spike yeah. and I hate to do the lazy comp because he's not Christian McCaffrey, but like in today's day and age, if you're going to be a running back to win the award, you need that high volume, whether it's a ridiculous amount of carries like Derrick Henry or getting involved in the passing game. But the counterpoint is, you know what? Maybe teams just look around and they say, Hey, you could be a national championship team with a guy who uh, was the last scholarship offered in his class, just a guy wearing Hollister from Shreveport. That's right. And he ends up being this guy who's really important <laughs> for a national championship winning team. And so they just plug him in there and you're going to be good to go. Yeah. I mean, look, even my year, even, even when I fooled them all and became the starting running back, uh, we still like Charles Scott was going to get carries. Keelan Williams is going to get carries. Richard Murphy was going to get carries. Trenton Holiday was going to get carries. And so, like, we were going to spread the wealth. We were all different running backs, and and why not? So I get it. But I just I, – I don't know that we'll see a guy go out there and truly get uh, – you know, that has a realistic chance, I should say, of actually winning the trophy or even really being invited to New York. Now, now Will Shipley is a great one. Because we saw what Bryles, or sorry, what uh, Riley did. Bryles coming down from Arkansas, which is a big get, by the way, for TCU. But we saw what Riley did with Kendra Miller last year, right? I mean, he that, that's a running back that I felt like was very undervalued. And so that's a good, you know, by you for Will Shipley. He's on the all meathead team, by the way. And that's a term of endearment coming from me. Like we put it out there, he's on the all meathead team. That guy is going north and south and don't let his size fool you. So, but maybe right it's like all these names we, like yeah well maybe like they could do it if they were asked to i just don't know that they're going to be asked to do it anymore does will shipley need to shave his goatee into a soul patch and be even more gritty a la a young jacob hester look if you go straight soul patch i'm going to respect the hell out of you now if you go like the doc holiday you're gonna win the heisman if you okay. go mustache soul patch combination or which it's it's hot with lsu baseball right now as we sit here and we're watching omaha i just feel like if you can pull that off that's a combination that means I mean business from the get-go. Last one for you. Over under three of your kids will stay home and go to LSU. Ooh, that is a that, that is a great question. Um, hmm. Daughter will probably go to LSU. I, I'd say three. I'd say <laughs> four three. daughter will probably go to yeah, LSU. I'd say three. Okay, so here's the situation. I'm a little nervous. Okay, so they go to the lab school on LSU's campus. They go to school at LSU. I'm their email address for their, you know, within the system for, uh, you know, all their work and stuff that gets sent to it is at LSU.edu. 
All right. So, I mean, they go to LSU now. I'm a little nervous. Are they going to want to go somewhere else? Are they going to want to leave? Which, you know, I'm nervous because I want to spend the time with them. If they get a scholarship somewhere else and they want to go play football somewhere else, there's, you know, only a handful of schools, Florida, that they can't go to. Okay. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to go support them. I'm going to go be a, a good dad, but hopefully they do stay home. Hopefully they all choose to wear the purple and gold in one way or the other. It can be as a student or a player. I don't really care just as long as you're doing something productive, but uh, I think I'm going to have to go under. I'm a little nervous oh. that they're going to want to leave, you know, maybe go somewhere far away considering they've always been on LSU's campus. And look, me and Doring have this conversation all the time because Doring went to PK Young, right? Which is the same thing. It's a lab school that's on the campus of Florida. His daughter went there. His son did not. Right. So he's, he's one for two. He's hitting 50%. So if I can get three of the five, it's under the number that you set, but I'll still feel pretty good about it. I think our daughters in the class of 2041 will be elite long snappers. I'm going to pencil that in right now. I'm just going to bookmark Dude, that. There's a future in it. Isn't like, I think everyone needs to take a look at that. I mean that. Okay. They can go play professional football for like 15 years. Our deep snapper in San Diego, Dave Ben was a stud. He played like almost 20 years in the NFL. There was one time he dated Pam Anderson. Okay. The guy was living life to the fullest, living in San Diego, still lives in San Diego, still looks great, by the way. And he just, you know, made 15, 16, 17, however many years it was, paycheck in the NFL just to snap the ball. Now, there's no room for error. You got to be perfect, but they got these snapping camps, Connor. We need to look into it. Okay. We need to sign them up right now. Let's let's do it. We'll, we'll make it happen. Absolutely. Uh, you're the best, man. Best luck with the, the baby girl. Looking forward to, to sharing some notes with you next month in Nashville. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. So, uh, yes, I am officially a dad. Very fitting that my last day of paternity leave, three weeks of paternity leave, was Father's Day. It was lovely. It was very lovely. Your boy cut the grass, did some dad things, as one does. You, you uh, wearing your shirts? Are we still in the wait and see mode on the shirts? I can't wear cotton cutting the grass. Can't do it. Can't do it. We're we're gonna be good. Will hooked me up. So for those who don't know, Will hooked me up with like three perfect dad shirts that I'm just gonna get to wear at any given moment. Um, Claire's Father's Day present to me was actually like a a, a dad hat that just says dad on the front of it. Very nice wow. of her. Uh, she gave me a nice card as well. Her penmanship is second to none. But uh, yeah, it was it was a lovely day. It, it's been pretty crazy uh these these last few weeks I'll, I'll be honest with you my voice might sound a little bit hoarse because yeah sleep for a new parent uh pretty hard to come by but uh thank you to everybody who sent well wishes felt so much love throughout this entire process and uh yeah mama and baby they're they're, they're doing really well claire elizabeth O'Gara, for those who didn't see my posts on social media yes ceo that was always going to be her initials. That was by design. That. Yeah. Um, eight pounds, 11 ounces. She, she's actually coming in like nine, nine, seven. I said, you know, I was talking about that with Hester. The fact that she's like already above her weight, you know, at, at the, the, uh, the pediatrician appointment, everything like that. Um, doing health, really healthy and doing well. Um, Thunder, do they have a chunk short chunk? chunk chart for babies do they have like a oh lord she coming up <laughs> man like yeah she we we knew she was gonna be big like based on like how she was measuring kind of at like the the 34 week mark but so it was weird the way that, that it all kind of went down because we had uh induction scheduled for a day after her due date and so we were 
you know, that whole day, that like Monday, the Monday, the, um, the 29th, we were like planning on going in all day. It was kind of like a weird day. We're trying to do stuff around the house a little bit, trying to distract ourselves. Cause we had 9 PM was when we were scheduled to go into the hospital that night. And so like, as we're getting, as we like get to the hospital, get into the room and everything, like Mark goes to the bathroom. She's like, my water just broke, which bizarre. I mean, very bizarre to have that happen. Like right before induction is scheduled. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, then process was incredible. Lauren is, uh, I, I didn't think I could have any more respect for her. And she was a superhero and what she went through. Um, it, it was just incredible to see. And, and there have been two moments in my life in which I've realized everything has now changed. The first was when Lauren moved from Indiana out to Nebraska and she and her dad drove like 14 hours in a U-Haul and they got to their apartment, Lauren's apartment in Nebraska, where I was already living. And this realization that this incredibly talented, um, well, like woman who has everything figured out just went across the country and is essentially betting on me and my career and like seeing her dad and how exhausted they were. I had this moment that day, you know, nine years ago in which I realized like, oh my God. All right. I have fooled these change. people into thinking I'm this person. Now I must be him. <laughs> right. And then like when, when baby comes out and you're sitting there and you're just like everything, everything has changed everything. Yeah. And um, despite the fact that, uh, there, there have definitely been, been some, some tough moments and things to, to figure out. It's been incredibly rewarding and, um, grateful to, to go through this and do to go through this with people who have been super supportive and employers who have, you know, and to have an employer who has been totally on my side throughout this, this paternity leave process as difficult as it was to kind of be away, but being a dad is super cool. It's, uh, <laughs> it's super cool. And, uh, I, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those people that posts constantly about like on social media. I've, I think I've said this on air before yeah. about how we're, we're not really going to be trying to show her face, at least not in these early stages, just because there's a lot of weirdos on social media. Um, but I've, I've pretty much just said, whenever there's an adorable picture of her, I'm just going to, we'll, we'll just send it to our moms. The, the people want to see it anyways, or I'll send, I'll send it to will or something like that. Um, but it's, man, it's been, it's been really cool. It's been really cool. It's difficult to be back at work now with Lauren still on, on maternity leave um, and working from home. We're still kind of figuring out what all that looks like, but um, we are, uh, we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there about as much as possible. She sleeps through the night pretty well. And um, let's just say I have very much mapped out all the potential career opportunities for her, given her advanced size for her age. And, uh, yeah, mom and dad are happy. That's all we can ask for. Yeah, man. I, you know, so many like thoughts on that. First off, I love the amount of preparation. I love how that carried throughout the the Nick Saban move of no one's going to learn the name until the day, like keeping the quarterback depth chart secret, you know, keeping it under wraps. Love that. And then second, dude, I don't even think I told you this. Uh, so Connor sent me a video of Rudy, his cat, his little chunky cat who's behind him right now, meeting their baby. And I was at the spelling bee. So like this timing was so wild because I would have had to take off time anyway. So I was at the spelling bee. Our team crushed it. We did a great job, you know, and everything. I'm sitting there at like, like a breakfast or whatever. And I see it. And I just start like crying. And I was like, this is the oh sweetest thing I've ever. And guys, I don't care about babies. My, I'm an only child. Yep. I've always joked about like, just get a puppy if you want a baby. Like I've never understood children. I've just never been my thing. He sends me this video of Rudy, like walking up to this little like car seat that she's in and being like, meow. And I'm like, 
oh my god that's so cute and i show it to my coworker, and she's like oh my god and they're like are you guys okay and like i never cry i never i guess i don't care about dang near anyone's baby except for that one because i just have been your co-host and your friend for so long and i was like it's just going like it's a it's a fairy tale so far so i'm really happy for you bro i'm so fired up i'm so fired up that you got to maybe not rest is not the good word but at least not worry about weirdos and scheduling and twitter for like three weeks welcome back to it though welcome back to I the know. bird app Oh yeah, it's been it's been great. Come back to the bird app to see that we're talking about ten year old kids playing football <laughs> and what their dads are doing for them. Yep. Uh, and that'll be the last mention of that on this on this podcast. But yeah, man, like it is. Uh, it, it's I I thought there were going to be a lot of moments in which I was super eager to get back to work and I was going to be chomping at the bit. And I'm like, oh, she's she's taking a two hour nap. I'm bored. Blah blah blah. Like. That has not been the case. It is truly an all hands on deck type situation because that time in which she's sleeping, we're doing everything we possibly can around the house or, you know, we got to get her signed up for healthcare. Like there's just a million things that you can possibly be doing. And so I have appreciated this time so, so much. And I'm glad I did not do the thing where I was like, kind of still trying to work through it. And right. Uh, you know what? I work from home. I could just, you know, I could fire off like a couple columns here and there. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to do this right. We're going to be all in. And that's, that's what I've been. And um, still got a lot to learn, but I'd say I'm at least like a B minus diaper changer. I'm, uh, I'm getting my 10,000 hours in that already. Like it is, I did not understand how many diapers a newborn goes through. And will, I kid you not hundreds already hundreds and hundreds in these first three weeks here and uh man i i guess that's a good that's a good problem because it means you know she's she's eaten and and their life go. is yeah. good so i won't complain about that but yeah i mean it, it's been uh it, it's definitely been been draining any future episodes in which you hear baby crying in the background um just have a little patience with us um life is life has definitely changed it's changed for the better it, it, it fully has all those cliche things that people tell you about how you you wonder what life was like before that i am yes i I wonder what my life looked like before this it's it's hard to even picture what what was i doing with my time before before this child came along but a lot of opinions um, in the public supermarket so i feel like we had lots of time to fill with (laughs) i know right yeah we're we're like taking her to like a couple couple places and seeing kind of how she does in the car and all that she's Mm -hmm. she's been great in the car we like took her to the airport to, um, you know, just to drop off Lauren's mom who was here for a few days. I'll get to more on that in a second. Um, but man, she's been mostly, mostly things have been, been really good. And the fact that she's healthy has made our lives a lot easier. And, um, a lot, like just a lot of little moments that are so rewarding. She doesn't smile with purpose yet. She smiles out of randomness. She doesn't mm-hmm. smile as like a reaction of, Oh, you like, you tickled her stomach. She's, she is more or less a potato at this stage and she doesn't have real emotions, but it's still like you're looking down at her and you still have these, a couple of these little, little like glimmers where she'll just flash you a look and you'll think to yourself, man, my daughter's smiling at me. And then you'll very quickly realize, no, she just pooped and she's, we're good. And you just roll with it. And we've just been rolling with it. That's what we've been doing for the past few weeks, but it's been good. You're trying to give her smiling with purpose lessons. Like, look, smile when happy, tickle, smile. 
I'm trying, I'm trying to like, we're, so we do, I told you about this before tummy time. That's a big yeah. thing with newborns. One of the things that we, that we try and do with her is we'll, we'll try and have her track certain things. So you can only see like black and white and then like the color red at that, that early stage for the first like couple months, I think it is. And so we're having, we have like these little booklets where she can track colors and you mm-hmm. kind of like put her on her back at first and kind of see how she's tracking this and how she's looking up at objects. Does she actually follow something as you like bring it across her face? These, these little things that like I've never had to do stuff like this before, but I kind of like look forward to it throughout mm-hmm. the day. And um, yeah, man, it's uh, it, it is, it is truly wild. And the, the lack of sleep has been the biggest adjustment for sure. But um all things considered, we're good. We're we're good. We're we're hanging in there. Life's good. Yeah, man. No, that's good to hear. It's it's one of those things where it's like I wasn't like actively worried about you, but in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, thinking about you, hoping you were doing good. Your updating was literally perfect. Like you were like, We're good, everything's fine. Here's a situation, cat video. I was like, Great, perfect. This is exactly what I want to communicate via like tweet and like, okay. Cause like obviously, you know, you always just hope for the best, but you guys, it seems like got I hate to say, you know, blessed or lucky or whatever you believe in, but it's it was great to, you know see all those updates and everything. So I'm just fired up for you, man. And the community, I, I put your picture in the Facebook community. If you guys haven't seen that, it's adorable. But of course I like was a weirdo and like text you. I was like, Hey, can I grab your picture off of your Instagram and put it in the story? <laughs> I think people need to see this. I was like, well, I don't want to just do it. Cause that was the thing. If I did it, I would have been a weirdo without asking. At least I asked. So no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. She's already had two photo shoots, which is kind of crazy, yeah, bro. Yeah. Cause you do like the, the hospital photos, which I, I think they do a really good job with those. And that was with the original, uh, that, that first picture that I posted that you posted in Saturday Down South podcast, Facebook group. And then we had a photographer come to the house and like do these newborn shoots and stuff like that. And she was awesome during it. I mean, very, like very minimal crying and was so well behaved, which we're like, man, okay. She's, she's rising to the occasion. Does she have the clutch gene? Yes. Some are saying. Yes, for sure. No doubt about it. Um, I've got a, that, that kind of leads me into, I have a last of the week okay. this week and it is my mother-in-law, Julie Saddam. Um, Lauren's parents are machines. They are okay. not human. Like Brock Bowers, they may or may not be human. I, unconfirmed at this point. Okay. She comes down to Orlando. Uh, she came down last Wednesday, stayed until Sunday wanted to meet her granddaughter, help us out, do whatever she can, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're kind of like, all right, what are, what are we going to have her do? You know, she's going to do dishes. Maybe she'll meal prep a couple of things. You know, we'll, we'll kind of figure out, occasionally hold the baby, whatever. Here is all that this woman did, who was on the other side of 60, might I add. Here is all that she did while she was here. Pulled out all the weeds in the front and backyard of our house. She dug mm-hmm. up our old mulch, helped replant the 31 bags of mulch that it took to redo our front and backyard. She cleaned (laughs) three different trips to Lowe's on Saturday afternoon. She cleaned off the algae from our fence to make it look brand new. She repotted a bunch of plants that needed it, pulled a bunch of the the weeds from those specific plants. We just haven't found spots that we just haven't found those specific spots for yet. Trimmed a bunch of plants that needed it. Meal prepped two separate meals for us, like meals to have over the course of a week. Played with Claire, changed diapers, allowed us to be able to take naps on several occasions. Just an absolute machine. And I mentioned last year, right around this time, about how I didn't think it was possible for anyone to ever top what my father-in-law did during his like three days here and all the work they did for for our backyard and stuff like that. The bats. Yeah. Yeah. Build us a bad house. That's right. You're good memory. Very good memory. Uh, I was like, there's no way anybody can ever do all the things that he did. She went up to him. 
she on just uh everything that she did like we so if like for like in a given day we would be trying to sleep in until close to nine just because when your sleep is so interrupted over the course of the, of the evening and we'd get up at nine in the morning to like make coffee stuff like that and she's like yeah i've been outside for like two and a half hours pulling weed she's like head to coat head to toe covered in sweat and like dirt and stuff like that and she's like yeah i got like another couple hours we'll you know i'll, I'll have everything finished by like 11 or so and would just hammer away at, at, mm -hmm. at every project that we needed to be able to do that we weren't going to have time it was it was perfect and did so without us having to to ask her anything. Bought us a power washer, dropped oh like, gosh. I mean, dropped insane amounts of money at, at, at Lowe's and at Publix and getting us gross. Like just if there is an ideal mother-in-law visit, then that one can have like, that's it. That's creme de la creme of mother-in-law visits. It was, it was fantastic. Like we feel the absence right now with her not being here. It, it couldn't have gone any better. I think uh, this is just from my casual observation, but I think that generation has hit like another gear lately. It's kind of like LeBron where he's like always posted about like hashtag year 20. It's like, if you were a productive person, you hit that age bracket. It's like this extra, like, yo, Hey, don't talk about my age. I'm as spry as ever. You see some real stats being put up here yep. that are, you know, the prime prime Lord's Bob situation. So great to see. Yeah. It sounds like everybody pulled together. It sounds like the plan was executed and yeah, an incredible last of the week. Uh, do you have, Anything coming up here that we need to get, that we need to be able to get out ahead of? I was thinking about that as I was coming back, and I'm like planning out kind of how we're going to do pods moving forward. I believe we're going to have a big time guest coming on next week, so mm. stay on the lookout for that. Something that we've had on once before, but is like one of the biggest names in college football, in my opinion. That should be coming, if not next week, it'll be the week after that. But I, I gotta, I gotta update like my my anniversaries and stuff like that. Now that we're hitting the the leanest part of the schedule, you're gonna watch some college baseball. A lot. Yes, I was about days, to, my you? my um lad of the week was about to be Paul Skeens, but I was just gonna let mm. you cook on that one because, buddy, that guy was 121 pitches in, throwing 101 miles an hour. I don't know if I've seen that from Max Scherzer. Like I don't know if I've seen that for like peak like Clayton Kershaw. So like I'm fascinated by that human being and just just a lad. But yeah, I think um yeah, it's it's a great time for college baseball. It really is, and not just because LSU is there and destroying the uh, Jello Shot Challenge, because there are a lot of really fun teams. Sure, obviously Tennessee is a fun team. Uh, Wake Forest, I'm horrified that LSU does not have ball skiing tonight against them. It's almost feels like a schedule loss actually. But yeah, I think it's just Omaha's electric this year. Omaha is is such a fun place this time of year for those who have been to the College World Series. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I never went to Rocco's though during my time there. I Rocco's was, as far as I'm concerned, wasn't even really a thing. Uh yeah, you know what? I'm just not a jello guy. That's mm. I think that's the problem. But I didn't even think that was a thing. And I guess I was there 10 years ago, so that's probably a little bit dated. But yeah, LSU. You gotta go like next year and just take one jello shot for the, for your alma mater, Indiana University, and then just have the little Indiana one at the bottom of the chart just to rub because they don't have a baseball team, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, was it Wisconsin whoa. that stopped their baseball team? Wisconsin doesn't have a baseball team. How dare you forget about the great Kyle Schwarber? Okay, I'm sorry. I, how could I confuse Indiana and Wisconsin? You know, if someone else did that about the SEC, I'd be mad. So that was actually bad by sure. me. But yes, no, that, that would be funny. But uh, yeah, it's just a, just a chill time of the year and a great planning by you guys.
I'm going to get to Omaha hopefully uh, in the course of the next couple of years and spend some time with my guy, Ben McDonald. That'll, that'll be coming up. Love me some Ben McDonald. He's the absolute man. Um, if you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Golden Brass. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.